Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. It's been hailed a game changer. A landmark deal signed by an English football club could change the world of football forever. They haven't won a game in the Premier League this season, but Newcastle United now have the victory they've craved. The best day of my life. Better than, better than me Ben being bored, to be fair. <laughs> Wonderful. Newcastle United has been bought by a consortium led by the Saudis, which means they now have the richest owners in the Premier League. Quite a change for a club that's been in the doldrums for years. It was an empty club. It had no identity. It was sucking the life out of a fantastic group of supporters. Thankfully, they'll hopefully have that mojo back. But at what price? As money floods into the club, and hopefully into the city surrounding it, there have already been protests raising moral and ethical objections to the club's new Saudi owners. So what does this deal tell us about the state of English football? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, the inside story of Newcastle United's Saudi takeover. The afternoon was dragging on. It was a Thursday the 7th of October, and the Times' chief sports correspondent, Matt Lawton, found himself in the unfamiliar surroundings of one of the smarter hotels on the outskirts of Newcastle. Quaint is how I'd probably describe it. It sort of sits in this little valley. It's quite dark, zero phone signal once you're inside the building. Every time I needed to speak to somebody, you had to go and walk around the car park. It made the whole thing quite stressful. As well as an army of security guards, there was a small army of PR people. <laughs> journalists being journalists, we had occupied the bar area where we were drinking, I should hasten to add. So we were sitting there getting through copious ham sandwiches and Diet Cokes and coffees. Journalists were certainly outnumbered by security staff. Some very scary looking security guys walking around. One of them was ex-SBS, I gathered. M- made a quick note to myself not to upset him. Matt was dodging ex-Special Forces security guards and sipping Diet Cokes while waiting for the deal of the decade. 
down the corridor was a consortium of anxious investors waiting to hear if their bid to buy Newcastle United had finally been approved. The British businesswoman, Amanda Staveley, was preparing to brief the media. Joining her in the little hotel were her partners in the £305 million deal. Jamie Rubin, son of the property entrepreneur and Conservative Party donor David Rubin, and representatives from the biggest and most controversial partner in the consortium, Saudi Arabia's Public Investment Fund, or PIF. This little boutique hotel about two miles outside the centre of the city was this group of people, Amanda Staveley and her husband, Jamie Rubin, walking up and down the corridors, which in itself was quite surreal. I think the Rubin brothers are basically the second richest family in Britain. They were relative paupers compared to the main players in this Newcastle United takeover. They were waiting for hours for the lawyers acting for the three different groups, the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund, now the 80% shareholders of Newcastle United, and then the Rubin brothers with their 10%, and Amanda Staveley and her PCP company as the other 10%. How did you know when the deal had finally been struck? Did a cheer go up? No, the, 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 there was suddenly this sort of mood of activity. You know, it, it, suddenly people started reappearing and rushing around and then we got a nod that we'd all be getting a statement in a few minutes. Newcastle United is an extraordinary football club. There is no other football club quite like it. And there are certainly no fans like Newcastle fans. By the time she wandered into the bar, it was about quarter to nine. There were a few fans that had got wind that they were actually hiding out, if you like, down at this hotel doing the deal. So a few of them turned up. I've seen you many times on the TV. Oh. Thanks for all the wonderful support. Thank you Thanks very much. Oh, no, well, it's all about you guys now. It's no, all about, it's about you. you. No, it's all about you now. We need you now. We need to this. Stavely and her husband made a point of embracing them and then she did her interviews and there was a big group. As I understand it, they had quite a night. I ought to confess I'm not a huge uh, football fan, so excuse my ignorance. Even for people who are across the world of football, who follow the detail, follow the players, follow the teams, these names won't necessarily have been known before this deal was struck. So tell us a bit about the characters involved. Who were the people pacing the corridors in this little hotel in Jesmond? Tell us to begin with about Amanda Staveley. She's been on our radar for quite a few years as a leading British financier with very good connections in the Middle East. She was involved with the takeover at Manchester City with the Abu Dhabi owners in 2008. So she very much was visible then as a major player in this modern football world of takeovers by fabulously rich people. We have known for a number of years, dating back to 2016, 2017, that she was looking to do another major takeover, but on this occasion was wanted to be involved. The thing about the, the Man City deal was that she simply brokered the deal. This occasion, she wanted a stake in a football club. Do we know where her interest in buying football clubs comes from? Why do any of these people buy football clubs? It seems to me that half of them are mad. They lose so much money in so many cases. But I think if it's done correctly and and done well, then there is money to be made. The fact of the matter is the Premier League is an extremely attractive 
brand and extremely attractive competition to be involved in. And there's no doubt that, certainly from her point of view, this is a commercial venture. But Matt, you've met her. What is she like? What sort of a character is she? And what do we know about her past? And how, how does she have the money to be buying football clubs? How would I describe her? She's an operator. Very smooth, very charming, very confident. And I think the way that she's been since the takeover went through, she's been front and centre. Premier League football is the best in the world and Newcastle United is the best team in the world and we want to see it get those trophies, obviously. She's sort of been in the spotlight before, hasn't she, as a girlfriend of Prince Andrew's for a while? She operates in that sphere and has done for many years. But yeah, yeah, romantic links with Prince Andrew in the past and I think clearly one of her strengths are her connections. And how has she managed to persuade the Saudis to be part of this bid? Do we know anything about her connections to them and how she got them on board? The Saudis have been making a very concerted effort to get more and more involved in sport over the years, as have a lot of the Middle East countries. Uh, They see it as a way of embracing the Western world, if you like. They want sport in Saudi Arabia. Next month, there's a Formula One Grand Prix there. The big boxing matches are going there. They want to be involved in sport. They wanted to own a Premier League football club. So I don't think it probably took a great deal of persuading. They would have looked at what Abu Dhabi has done at Manchester City. They haven't won the Champions League yet, but they've come damn close now. They've won the Premier League. The trophy itself from second fiddle for so long in their own city to top club in the country. Manchester City! Manchester City was very similar to Newcastle today. It was a sleeping giant and with massive investment, they've turned it around and gained an awful lot of good PR on the back of that. Well, you have this axis of an awful lot of money and and power coming together to bid for Newcastle United of, of all football teams. Tell us a bit about the team they bought. You know, for people like me who haven't been following football, they don't seem to be in the headlines as much as some of the other teams. What's been happening to them recently? Well, they've been under the leadership of Mike Ashley for 14 years. And this is Mike Ashley, who we know from Sports Direct. Mike Ashley, the billionaire tycoon. And then there's his workforce, some of whom he's failed to pay even £6.70 an hour. But it's not just pay. Union Unite today submitted an explosive dossier packed with details about a company culture full of bullying, where work conditions were likened to that of a gulag. He would probably argue that he did put a lot of money into Newcastle over the years, but they certainly had lost their way in being the force they once were. You know, I was a regional northern football writer when Newcastle were very successful. And if that feels like a dim and distant memory, here's a little reminder of the glory days back in the mid-90s when Newcastle United finished second in the Premiership just behind Manchester United. They were spending big. They were outbidding Manchester United for Alan Shearer, for instance, you know, £15 million. I remember being on holiday in Thailand in in the summer of 96 and actually buying a copy of the Bangkok Post. And I could not believe that a football club had paid £15 million for a footballer. It was just like, that is ridiculous money. 
I remember being there when they signed Faustino Espria, this fantastic South American footballer. And I was, he was, he got out of the car and it was snowing. He had this huge coat on. He was, he was sort of looking at the sky thinking, not sure I signed up for this. They were major players. And then certainly the view of the fans would be that under Ashley, it's been 14 years of decline. And they are sitting in the relegation zone at the moment and struggling and, and struggle year on year. The fact of the matter is, it's a fantastic city. The position of the football club in the city, if you ever drive into Newcastle and you come over the Tyne Bridge, is unique. St James's Park does sit there on top of the city. It's an extraordinary position for a football club to command. And it has fantastic potential. And now, after years of decline, they could be on the brink of realising that potential. For fans, it's a heady mix of hope and relief. They're just delighted. They now think they're going to be signing the best players in the world. They're going to get the biggest managers in the world coming to work at their club. I've hardly slept all night thinking about this moment. This is what we've needed for 14 years. I've got, I've got tears in my eyes. And they're going to be challenging for the Premier League and the Champions League in the next 10 years, which I'm sure they will be. You know, the fact of the matter is the PIF has got £700 billion. So they're excited about that. That's their focus. And they're not really thinking about all the other stuff. They don't really seem to care. Newcastle United taken over by Saudi Arabia. What do you think? Dynamite. Not worried about human rights abuses or all this monkey. stuff? Nah, couldn't give him monkeys. I don't care. I don't give no, no, not a thing. I don't care at all. I'd, I'd, I'd chop his head off me if we start winning the league. <laughs> not a problem. I'm, I'm sure some have a conscience and concerns about the human rights violations that Amnesty International and other organisations are very keen to highlight. But I think the fact that there were thousands of them outside letting off flares and celebrating really tells you what they feel about it generally. Tell us about the part that is causing some anxiety for people, the human rights violations, the idea of having the Saudis as a partner. What exactly is the PIF and is that the Saudi state? Well, that's the $64,000 question. There was an awful lot of scepticism and cynicism around the statements that were issued last week along the lines of legal assurances being given that the state would not interfere and that the PIF was a separate entity even though it's chaired by the crown prince of of Saudi Arabia so understandably a lot of observers scoff at the idea that there is some form of separation but that was the Premier League line that they've been given these assurances that there will be no interference from the state this is not a state-owned football club even though it is <laughs> Saudi Arabia's Sovereign Wealth Fund. It's it's a question that's not really going to go away. I noticed Amanda Staveley uses words like autonomous quite a lot when she talks about the PIF. PIF is uh, an autonomous, commercially driven investment fund. You know, very much our partner is not the Saudi state. Our partner is PIF. A lot of people struggle to accept that there can be any kind of autonomy. And the PIF, this fund, I mean, the chairman is Mohammed bin Salman, MBS as he's known. It is the crown prince and... For a lot of people who are worried about human rights, he is part of the problem. Remind us a bit about his past. Where do you start? The biggest issue, obviously, is his alleged involvement in the murder of a journalist. A US intelligence report has concluded that Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman personally approved the murder of the exiled journalist Jamal Khashoggi in 2018. 
And the fact of the matter is, by signing up for the Premier League, you're signing up to the anti-discrimination campaigns that the Premier League are behind, the rainbow laces and so on, the anti-discrimination towards the gay community. And yet homosexuality is still a capital offence in Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia announced that it executed 37 people convicted of terror-related crimes. It was one of the largest mass executions in the kingdom's history. And now CNN has learned that many of those condemned to death, they insisted their confessions were completely false and were written by the people who tortured them. So squaring those two issues is is a problem, and it's a problem they are going to keep having. They point to the fact there's been a lot of reform in the last year. They point to the fact that there's no longer a death penalty for juveniles. I think they've removed the death penalty for drug offences. But then there are still these atrocities taking place. There are still people being tried for crimes they did commit when they were children who are now facing the death penalty. It's alarming stuff. And to have these people owning a Premier League football club is concerning. And what do you think is in it for them? Why do you think MPS would have been so obsessed with buying a club? Well, the accusation is sports washing, isn't it? It's public relations. It's about brand. It's about image. It's about using sport as a vehicle to try and improve the image of a country or the image of an individual. Football is is very powerful in that sense and, and sport in general is very powerful in that sense. A case in point is the Newcastle fans, isn't it? Newcastle fans are welcoming these people with open arms by the very fact that they're celebrating their arrival outside St James's Park. Next year championship is for Newcastle. Yes! Oh, it's unbelievable. Like, just look, just look. It's, it's unbelievable. Such a sick feeling. Is that not the perfect definition of sport washing? We'll have more from Matt and the inside story of the deal, including how it almost came unstuck, in just a moment. But first, a message from my colleagues at Times Radio. This is Stig Abel and Asma Mir. We present the breakfast programme on Times Radio every Monday to Thursday from six o'clock. We talk to the leading politicians in the country. We go all around the world. We have a bit of a laugh. We listen to music occasionally. We're judgmental towards one another <laughs> and to our listeners. We, we get a lot done over, over four hours, don't we? We do. We can only do that thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. So subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Matt, you can sort of see why the Saudis are so have been so invested in this deal. We know that Amanda Staveley has been trying to buy a football club for quite some time. It sounds like for Newcastle fans, this is actually a moment to celebrate. Even Mike Ashley didn't sound like he wanted to hold on to the club for long. Win-win all round, but this whole deal was almost derailed a little while ago. What happened in July 2020? It's the last thing the Newcastle United supporters wanted to hear this afternoon, that the takeover essentially has fallen through. The Saudi-backed consortium led by Amanda Staveley, who had agreed that £300 million price tag with Mike Ashley uh, way back at the beginning of April, have essentially pulled the plug. I was surprised by how much she kind of let down her guard by how emotional she was about it. She was absolutely devastated that uh, it had collapsed because I guess it was three years' work and um, it had gone up in smoke, seemingly. But, yeah, the, the decision had been taken to pull the plug. I think they anticipated they were about to get a bloody nose, that it wasn't going to be approved because they hadn't been able to provide the assurances that there was sufficient separation between the PIF and the state. And it certainly felt to me like they were jumping before they were pushed, if you like. But she was very upset about that and very frustrated by that. And I do think at that point she thought it was dead. It looked like the deal was over. The Premier League kept delaying their decision on the bid until the consortium gave up. Now, if, like me, you thought the Premier League's reluctance might have something to do with Saudi Arabia's human rights record or the questions around the murder of the journalist Jamal Khashoggi. Well, you'd be wrong. It turns out they were actually worried about a lucrative TV deal. The Premier League makes a fortune by selling TV rights to Be In, a Qatari media group which broadcasts football matches on TV channels all over the world. But Saudi Arabia... Qatar's arch-nemesis had banned Bein from broadcasting in the country and had allowed illegal streaming of the matches instead. They invest hundreds of millions in broadcast rights for the Premier League and the Saudis were endangering the future of their business and the knock-on effect of that was going to be that their content was being stolen and given away for free in Saudi Arabia. What was the point in paying for it? Enormous pressure coming from different places. Enormous objections from very significant people. Your member clubs on the one side, your major broadcast rights holders on, on another side. And at the same time, the simple image issue of allowing Saudi owners to own a football club. 
I mean, those are staggering odds. There's a lot against the deal. How did it finally break through? How did it come about, given all of those strands of opposition? Well, the significant thing was the fact that BN Sports did renew their TV deal last December. That kind of removed the threat of for the Premier League of pulling out. I mean, how devastating would that have been if they had pulled out? Oh, disastrous. It was hugely significant because it was $500 million to extend the rights to 2025, another three years. Once that deal had been done, that certainly removed that pressure for the Premier League. But at the same time, they still had the pressure, as we understand it, government pressure to let the deal go through. And I think legally it would have been difficult because at the same time, again, was the legal challenge being made by Mike Ashley to the Premier League about it. He obviously felt very aggrieved in his view that the Premier League had been obstructive. I mean, he sounds like a man who's desperate to get rid of his football club. It had turned into a nightmare for him. He wasn't a popular chairman. Why would you want to keep sitting in the stands of a football club that you own and the fans don't want you there? Mike Ashley, you have ruined my club, you know. You have ruined my club, sir. Just sell the club and keep it moving. This is not a new narrative in football. Happens to a lot of different owners. They get driven out by the fans. Why would you want to spend your weekends in a place where 50,000 people dislike you? It had turned into a nightmare for him. He was keen to sell. It was a good offer. He's walked away very satisfied with the deal he's got. But to be honest, that was more, as I was led to believe, a consequence of the consortium being given the green light that the Premier League would accept these legal assurances that there was a separation between the PIF and the Saudi state. Once that was in place, then the Saudis put a stop to the the piracy and everything was suddenly resolved. But there has been a bit of a backlash, you know, in the media and from fans of other football clubs, again, pointing to the human rights violations, whether this might be a terrible thing for football. Has their enthusiasm been dented at all by any of that? I think the fans will swallow that up. But I think for the club, it will be a problem that persists. The one difference I see at the moment between the way the Qataris have handled things and the way the Saudis are handling things. And I know it's very early days for the Saudis, but from the moment the Qataris got the 2022 World Cup, they've made a very concerted effort to address issues around their image, around the accusations of human rights violations. And you know they, they enlisted the services of big-hitting PR people. They know the world is looking at them. They know that... With the exception of the Olympics, the biggest show on earth is coming their way. It will be very interesting to see what efforts are made by the Saudis to address those kind of problems. Do you think that the attention of buying a football club might actually force them to make at least sort of superficial changes? Yeah, but the key there will be how superficial they are, won't it? It will be whether there is a willingness to change, whether there is a willingness to evolve. Because if there isn't and and things don't change, then... I think there will be problems down the road for them. What about players? Players with a social conscience, are they going to sign for them? Managers with a social conscience. Let's just say that Newcastle offered Gareth Southgate an incredible opportunity and asked him to be the manager of Newcastle United. What's the first question he's going to get when he sits down in that press conference? He's not going to get asked about which players he's going to want to buy. He's going to be asked about 
the treatment of the gay community in Saudi Arabia when he's just spent the last however many years as England manager campaigning for diversity and, and, and standing alongside his players, campaigning against racism. Can Gareth Southgate take a job at Newcastle United? Absolutely no chance, I would say. He wouldn't go near it. It does seem like their values are going to be at odds for a while. On the other hand, last week at the Cheltenham Literature Festival, I actually interviewed John Barnes, uh, an old Newcastle legend. Mm. And his line on it was interesting because he said, until the British government takes the decision to stop doing deals with Saudi Arabia, why should Newcastle United? I am guided by the government. We are the rule of law and the moral guardians of Britain are our leaders. So how could we sell £30 billion of arms to Saudi Arabia, but Newcastle can't sell their club to the Saudi Arabians? As long as the moral guardians of this, of this country are saying it's OK to do business in Saudi Arabia, which we are, I go along with that. Well, and I think privately that was the view of the Premier League. Why is it on the Premier League to stop the Saudis buying Newcastle? You know, How can you expect this small team of football administrators to stop this? when the British government do business with them. So it's very difficult to, and this is, I guess, where you have to have some sympathy with the Newcastle fans. I think John Barnes has got a point. Where do you draw that line? But at the same time, it's not going to stop these kind of issues dominating the agenda. And Matt, for you, as somebody who has followed football for years and you've seen the effects in places like Qatar, you've seen other teams being brought up by you know, people who, again, sort of had question marks next to their names. Is there something about the soul of English football? Is there something that's being lost by being sold to companies that represent Saudi interests? Look, I, I think that ship has sailed a long time ago, if I'm honest. Football is still wonderful in that when the whistle blows at three o'clock on a Saturday, 11 v 11, it's still a great spectacle. It's still exciting, but... Football is being corrupted to such an extent by football agents, by certain administrators, by some owners. Unfortunately, sport is big business. And while there are many very good people involved and many well-meaning people, because of the sums involved, it attracts a lot of, a lot of unscrupulous people as well. And I'm afraid as a journalist, you become quite cynical about that. You have to keep questioning it and you have to keep scrutinising it for that reason. But in terms of football selling its soul, it's another dent in that armour, if you like. It's another setback. But I think football lost that a long time ago. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Chief Sports Correspondent for The Times, Matt Lawton. You can read more of Matt's work at thetimes.co.uk if you've got a subscription or in the print edition. The producer was Oliver Adamson. The executive producer today was Asia Fuchs. And sound design was by Falcon Kisseltuk. If you'd like to get in touch with any ideas for future episodes or any thoughts on what you've just heard, then do drop us a line. You can email us at storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Imagine. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.